this is Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow is a nonprofit organization engaging the public on critical quality of life issues so we make informed choices for our community's future. Visit us on the web at seavilletomorrow.org. The six candidates for two open seats on the Charlottesville City Council met for the final time on October 25, 2017 at a forum held by the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. The candidates have met on five previous occasions, and the center billed this event as an opportunity for them to have one final word before Election Day on November 7th. The moderator for the event is Andy Copeland Witsit. Uh, we are grateful that all six of you could come tonight to share the last word. And for our, our audience and uh, the candidates, we're keeping it simple tonight. You, you've been given four questions, and with six candidates, we, we know we'll get some uh, robust responses. The candidates will have a two-minute opening statement, and the questions that we ask, um, we're, we're going to ask them to keep it to two minutes, but uh, you know, we have a timekeeper out there, right, Dr. Douglas? Yeah. Where is she? Oh, you know, I should put these on. I really need to see. Okay, so we have a timekeeper, and just be mindful that you're not the only one on the stage, all right? And you will have two minutes for a final statement uh, as well. All right, we're ready to get this going? Okay. The first question is, there is a perception. Oh, Lord. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, John, start with your opening statement. Yeah. So sorry. I am John Edward Hall, independent, running for Charlottesville City Council. Please vote for me on November 7th. Charlottesville lost its innocence this past August 11th and 12th. The courts have begun bringing the troublemakers to justice. The statues in Emancipation and Justice Parks remain shrouded for as long as we are in mourning. I am running so that other persons with mental challenges can be inspired to overcome their difficulties. In a small way, I wish to serve as an example to all people who strive to overcome their difficulties. I pledge to be a good team member to take care of the business of the city in a careful and considerate way. I offer to you, the voters, me, a person who strives for good qualities like ceaseless industry, unfettered thought, and the will to work for mankind. Thank you. My name is Kenneth Jackson. I'm a 50-year-old native of Charlottesville, born and raised and educated. My daughter, Laquandra, was born and raised and educated here. My family goes back generations in Almar County in Charlottesville. The reason I ran as independent is because technically and very truthfully, I'm sick of parties. It's not about parties. It's about the people. And the reason I decided to throw my hat into the ring and move back home was because our city is going through turmoil. And it started way before August. Everyone wants to deal with that. That was a tragic and a terrible thing. They should have never befelled our city. And it should have stopped way before that. 
But we have to realize, too, that there's 98% of our citizens out there, of 42,000 people, who are not being heard. Not being heard at all by city council or the government. Not just this, this present government, but even previous governments. We've watched neighborhoods, black and white, get gentrified from Belmont to Cherry Avenue to now West Street and continuously going. We want to build for tomorrow, but we have to remember, while we're building for tomorrow, we have people who are here now, today, in the present. And we can't just push us out. So the reason I decided to throw my hat into the ring is I'm very capable. I've studied government since I was 16 years old. And I love government. But most of all, I love Charlottesville. And if elected to city council, my job is to move heaven and earth Work with Democrats, Republicans, Independents. I don't care if I've got to work with Goofy. But my job is to get Charlottesville the funds and whatever it needs. First, it's to get the school system better. I just went to, we just was at Greenbrier Monday, and I can't believe we haven't renovated our schools in a coon's age. It's disgusting. And that's supposed to be the heart. So I hope you vote for me on November 7th. Thank you, Kenneth. Go ahead, Heather. Good evening. I'm, I'm Heather Hill. I'm mother to three children that are seven and a second grader at Burnley Moran, a son who's five and my youngest is two. Uh, my children were all born here and will be raised here. Um, when I decided to run for city council, it was largely motivated by the experiences that I had had as a neighborhood leader, uh, as a community member, um, as and as well as my, through my children's schools, I really had an opportunity to interface with our city, you know, directly and see that there are a lot of opportunity areas for us to work better for the people of Charlottesville. My background is industrial and systems engineering, and I have a master's in business. Um, so both, you know, my professional experience as well as my time as a community leader really allowed me to feel it, made me feel like I could contribute meaningful, meaningfully to our city's government. But I had also recognized that I was most energized by those opportunities I had had to really engage directly with our citizens. And that's when I decided to run, and I became a candidate. And in an effort to really learn about the needs of the community, I committed to listening to as many voices as possible. I walked and knocked doors on every street in our city because I feel it's important for me to hear firsthand the priorities of those that I hope to serve. I really believe it's, that's what our leadership should be focusing its priorities on, your priorities, not those of individual leaders and their initiatives. The hours I have personally spent in some of your living rooms and on your porches, hearing your stories has energized me in ways I could have never imagined. It's this type of approach I would want to continue to take if I were to be elected to city council throughout my term in office. We need to continue to have our hand on the pulse of this community, and that means being out in the community. It's hard to put into words how much my life has been enriched by these past nine months, but I'm not going to say it's also been very difficult. I think all of us can agree this is a tough you know, place to put yourself in. Um, but it's been great to just be part of such a diverse set of voices and to hear those voices, and it's given me a new lens from which I now view our community, its diversity, and its history. And based on what I've heard, I believe our community is more unified than it's ever been, and I'm committed to working with you. But I believe um, for those voices to be heard more broadly, we need to create a safe, comfortable space to enable meaningful dialogue. And that involves both talking and listening. I really think that we need to work together to create those spaces together. And um, I'm committed to doing that and applying my experiences. They are essentially needed here in our city. And I, I really hope that you'll join me. Thank you, Heather. Nakaya? 
Good evening. My name is Nakaya Walker. I'm running as an independent for city council. I'm excited that we are two weeks away. I decided to um, run as an independent for city council so that we could, as a community, have the conversation that we said that we were ready to have after a Trump election in November about within the Democratic Party, what things that we need to change. We have a city that's been primarily under Democratic control and um, leadership, and we see the state that we're in as a result of that. We have major disparities in every area, in health, wealth, education, mass incarceration, and I've been committed most of my life to fighting on the back end of things and bringing, um, Bringing myself to the forefront was one of the main challenges um, for me, but I can say that it, it was well, well worth it. I hope that you all, um, as you head out to the polls on November 7th, that you all really decide whether you want a community as it has been or you are willing to challenge the status quo, challenge where we've been, and really have some difficult conversations that we as a community haven't had. People have them individually, we have them behind closed doors, but we are a community where everybody does not have the ability to thrive, and we have not been willing to have that conversation out front, in open, in public, with all of its ugliness, and until we do that, we're gonna continue to be a community where the 1% of the community thrives, and the rest of us are either displaced, pushed out, or in need of services, and at this point, services that are not delivered very efficiently. So during this entire campaign, without questioning my integrity, without um, stepping into rooms and being exactly who I am, I have been having those conversations, been having them in living rooms, and want to continue to have them and make a difference on council. Thank you. Thank you, Nakaya. Paul? My name is Paul Long, and I'm running for city council because I uh, think that the city council is a disgrace. There was a staff member of CBS News that told me that, that he uh, uh, heard me use the word disgrace 36 times in pu public events, and it is a disgrace. City council abdicated their responsibilities in allowing Mike, Mayor Mike Singer to assume authority that he doesn't have in law, and they finally took it away from him a couple of months ago, and that's something they should never have allowed him to assume. Uh, there's a variety of issues that I've been advocating for years, not just when I'm running for city office. I believe that 60% of the inmates at the Albemarle County uh, Regional Jail are there for nonviolent drug use. They should be released. I believe drug addiction is a, a health issue and should not be a matter for the criminal justice system. You know, and they should be released. I believe that there's a problem that when you're convicted for a felony and you try to get your life together, that that inhibits people from getting a job. And what else are people supposed to do if employers are not willing to hire you? That should be changed. When I was living in the Philadelphia area, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, but I moved to a small suburb of Philadelphia, and I was named as their representative to the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. A post I served for 10 years. I believe that the city of Charlottesville and the surrounding areas need an extensive public transit authority to provide good transit service, frequent transit service. In the 20 years that I've been here, 
traffic has gotten worse and worse and worse. And I don't think people are getting to the point where they have to drive 45 minutes to an hour just to move two or three miles. You know, I don't think that public transit system is just for people who can't afford to use cars. I think if we have an extensive system that runs frequently, people will begin using the system to go downtown to go to work instead of hopping into their cars all the time. And I'm running as an independent. I see the gentleman sticking two fingers on how much time I have left. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. Two minutes. Thank you, Paul. Amy? Hi, my name is Amy Lawfer. Some of you know me from the school board. I've been on the school board the past six years, but I see a lot of new faces, so I'd like to give you a little bit of my history. I actually grew up on a dairy farm in a really small town of 700 in uh, Wisconsin. I am one of eight children, and I am first-generation college graduate. I did every job to put myself through college, including packing fish in Alaska. And I think that kind of tells a story that if I want it to be done, it's going to be done. Um, after I graduated, I did water chemistry for the state of Wisconsin, and then I went into the Peace Corps, which was a lifelong dream of mine. I ended up at an elementary school and totally took a new direction in my life. I, you know, in the Peace Corps, I was surrounded by um, functional literacy, which meant most of the, the people that I worked with really were not literate, and it really affected me to see how rote learning really hurt the society, and I felt the best way I could affect change is to become a teacher. So I came back and got my master's um, at Columbia University, and I taught math, uh, middle school math and science. I was actually in lower Manhattan uh, when the World Trade Center event happened. I was a block away, and I witnessed it. We had to evacuate uh, for most of the year, and that profoundly changed my life again. And uh, this whole time, I had met a gentleman in the Peace Corps that's from Charlottesville, and I had been visiting occasionally, but after that event, I decided to move to Charlottesville. And I've been here ever since, and uh, we are now married, and we have three children. My oldest daughter is uh, just had her bat mitzvah, and uh, she's at Buford. And then I have a son at Walker and another son at Greenbrier. And my two sons have learning disabilities. Actually, I was uh, teaching middle school math and science, and my son was born, and he had major medical issues. And... It was really hard for me to make a decision to stay home, but I did. And if you research uh, families with children with major medical issues, this happens a lot, uh, which also changed my life again. I then became a commissioner on the Commission for Children and Families to help kids with disabilities and children at risk. And then I was asked to uh, run for school board, and I've done so, and I've Loved my time on school board. We've uh, increased graduation rates to 92% this year. Amy? And I can't wait to talk with you tonight about Thank all you. the ideas I Thank have. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. All right. Keep you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, keep your eyes fixed on Jeff back there. He, he is our timekeeper. And uh, thank you all for uh, abiding to those time rules. So we are going to move right into the questions. And the first question is... Uh, starting with John, there is a perception that a populist agenda has taken hold of council. Can you address that? I would say that uh, a populist agenda relates to having a lot of people in one area and building, perhaps overbuilding the city in order to satisfy those needs. 
What we have as a result is a lack of parking, a lack of parking downtown for businesses to be well served. And we have parking meters that are not being well received. Thank you. Okay. Kenneth? Yes, there is a perception that a populist agenda has taken hold of city council. We want to hear your response to that. Well, first of all, what is populist? Yeah. A populist agenda uh, that they, they have a tendency to respond more to those who are making the most noise, who are doing the most yelling, kind of the saying, the, the squeaky... Okay. Squeaky wheel gets yeah. the oil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, anytime, and b growing up here and having to go to city council meetings for school and even as an adult, there was a decorum in council. It was just one of respect. It allowed people to voice their own opinions. It allowed citizens to come in and actually discuss things that they needed to discuss and talk about. And it seems like People are up there now stomping their feet and having been in city council doing one of these things. It's like whoever makes the most noise, who's ever the scariest person, whoever says you're doing us wrong. And I'm not being funny. Whoever plays the race card and make no mistake, I'm as black as you can get. But, you know, this it's gotten ridiculous. And it's not about taking care of the citizens in Charlottesville or taking care of the masses or majority of us, the actual majority. It's about playing, placating. And it's actually been turned into a political game. I mean, I don't know if anyone's heard, you know, what's the guy's name? Oh, God, he's like a lieutenant governor. I should know the name. Mark Northrum. Oh. Northrum's at it. You know, it specifies mm -hmm. Charlottesville, and we're against, you know, the alt-right. and. Make no mistake, I don't like the Klan or anyone else like that, but I also don't like the alt-left who says go out and kill or hate people. You know, you can't hate only begets hate. But this is what council has decided they're going to jump on, and they're going to placate their needs, and to hell with the rest of the 98% of us. Okay. All right, before we move to Heather, John, um, and, and Kenneth asked the question, what is a populist agenda? Did you want to kind of answer that question again so we can um, get a better understanding of your response to the question now that we know what, what populist agenda means? Well, the um, populist agenda, meaning the city council, the people, the wheel that squeaks gets the grease. Uh, I don't necessarily agree that... Uh, People that shout and try to make noise are necessarily the people that are heard. A lot of times the people that are heard are the people that are very uh, at ease and come with a good frame of mind and a business-like appearance. Okay. All right. Heather, if, uh, excuse me, if you all would share that mic that, that
that Paul has, and Heather and uh, Amy and Paul, you all share that mic. Thank you. All right. So it's about this, this populist agenda taking over council. Yeah, um, there is a perception that a populist agenda has taken over council. How do you? How would you respond to that? Um, I'm, I'm concerned about the dynamics that are happening in our council meetings. Um, I've sat in every council meeting personally, with exception to two, and those I, I watched while streaming when I was out, out of town since, since December. Um, and you can, you've, you can, it's palpable that the change that's happened over that course of time from December till today to the point where I can't even convince anyone to go with me, and I'm certainly not going to bring my children with me. It's not a place for them to be right now um, based on the actions and the language that's being used. And I struggle with that because... As the approach I've shared, I took a, made a really big commitment to go to people in their, their spaces and in their homes because that's where they're comfortable, and I feel like I've gotten a lot of data, and I've summarized it as the engineer in me, but I feel like that was really fulfilling to me to hear those voices, and I am saddened that those voices are not being heard in the room, and they're not going to be heard until we are able to make an environment, and I don't, maybe it's not even in council meetings, but I, I believe that those voices that are angry also want to be heard, but we need to be able to create an environment where we can have a dialogue. And it's not just one way, but it's, it's, it's both talking and listening to each other. But we also have to be patient and understand that some people's perspectives are going to be different than ours. And if we're not able to recognize those differences and we're just going to shut them out, we're really not going to learn. I may not agree with all the voices. I certainly didn't agree with all the voices that I knocked on their doors. We were talking about a lot of contentious issues, but I listened and I learned from every single one. And I, my fear is that the way that we are right now in our current council setting specifically, that... We are enabling an environment that's not going to allow for really the voices that the broader set of voices to be heard. And therefore, we're not going to be making decisions for the broader community. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my point of view on this. Thank you. Nikaya. So the, the voices that we are um, talking about right now, there's a lot of diversity in those voices and what you have is people who haven't received any answers from our local government we just witnessed last week in a richmond times article that our governor's office has created a task force of its own that is made a non-public body um, that our investigator whether you believe he should be on the um, as the lead investigator or not i don't but um, he doesn't have access to documents from them and they've made that entity a non-public body so that you can't for your information so you have a lot of people who are asking questions who were on the front line um, in July in May in August last week and we have a government who did not protect them local and state level and they have a lot of answers I mean a lot of questions that haven't been answered that no one has answered um, and so they are choosing to express themselves, and I have been a part of um, one of those um, council meetings where council attempted to do a business as usual right after the August 12th events. I was on 4th Street, and a lot of those individuals were down there. That car could have hit any of us, and if you expect for people to be able to walk into a room and you go business as usual and not go through the stages of grief, that is unacceptable. So what we should be asking is where are our answers? And then the next question we should be asking is those voices that have been making the decisions behind closed doors, not in public for generation, 
that have been implementing policies that have been displacing Native families, that have been um, participating in mass incarceration, that have run agencies, that have separated families and taken them apart. Those voices, while they have been silent to the majority of us, they have been very loud. And those are the questions I think we need to ask. Okay. Paul, use that microphone, Paul. I don't believe the city council is, is, is advancing a populist agenda as I understand populism. I understand populism being the Democratic Party of 50 years ago of Lyndon Johnson and Harry Truman and John Kennedy. There's a reason why the Republican Party is not running candidates for city council is because the current city council is the junior league of the Republican Party. Therefore, big business, all you have to do is look around the city and see all this building going on. Two years ago, when Russ Bellamy, Mike Singh, and Kathy Gavin ran for election, they raised $77,000. A lot of that money came from the Virginia Realtors Association, Mark Brown, and people who wanted to do business with the city, and they would be holding to them and doing their business. So you know, the populism to me is a person who, though they will listen to the business community, is not going to be beholden and be a laggy to them as well. The reason that I'm running as an independent is because the Democratic Party of Charlottesville is not the Democratic Party of 50 or 60 years ago, of Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, or Lyndon Johnson, or even, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been taken over by corporate interests. A populist agenda is people who are in city council who care about the hundreds of non-professional people who are working at UVA Medical Center, McDonald's, Hardee's, that are making $7.25 an hour. They need representation on city council as well. And I'm one candidate that will be their representative if I'm elected to city council. Yeah, I think a populist agenda is really, like, when I think back to civics from high school, as being a, a motion of the people um, and the response of the needs of the majority. When I think, so when I think of the decisions that the city council have made, uh, I don't know if it's the majority of our community that's suggesting the policies that they're bringing to them. Um, and that's something I think we should really think about, especially all the events of this summer that have really, um, really, I think, just kind of highlighted a lot of the issues that we've been facing for decades and uh, kind of broke open the, I really categorize that we have four kind of issues going on in the city right now. First is the lack of trust amongst city council, the staff, and the community. Uh, that's definitely something that we need to work on. And then we have uh, these very vocal groups that are bringing up very valid concerns. And, you know, if we can meet with them outside of city council, this is when we can create real solutions to these real issues. Um, and then we think about the things, basically, when I started running way back in February about affordable housing, I had this idea of Piedmont Promise where we're going to support kids going to PVCC so they can get an associate's degree and a certificate because I know what that education means to someone uh, you know, putting in their life and changing it. Um, and all these other issues, infrastructure, transportation. And then our final kind of category, and those are all issues that city council is going to decide on policy and budgetary decisions to help forward those ideas. And then our final category of 
issues that we're facing are all these lawsuits. You know, the lawsuits that we've had before August and now the lawsuits after August. And we're going to really have to sit down and have meaningful conversation to come to closure and um, pursuing these issues together. Okay. Thank you, Amy. All right, second question. Kenneth, we're going to start with you. All right. Is what are your plans to uh, a strong community is one where all sectors of the community are thriving. So what are are your plans if you are um, elected to be on city council to develop a strong middle sector, particularly within the black and brown community, black and Hispanic? Hmm, that's interesting because as a counselor or anyone in government, you can't do something just for color. You just can't do it. But so hasn't it been done have, that way, if though? If you were to ask me what would I do for poor people, then we would put programs, real programs like we had before, into effect, like the Wheels to Work program, job training. We had excellent things for that. And that helps pick the lower income up. People in my range, you're asking me a loaded question, and I'm just as black as anyone else, but let's understand what I do would have to be done based on economics. Okay, so words, you don't feel that the black and brown community is thriving equally to the overall community, i.e. the white community? I'm not going to nickel and dime it. I mean, I grew up poor back on Brown Street, but I had teachers and I had people who helped me succeed. So that's what we need to do whether they're black, brown, or white, or purple, that's what we need to do, is we need to pick people up and help them succeed. Okay, so, all right, from, from my understanding, do you believe that there are communities within Charlottesville that are predominantly black or brown, black or Hispanic, who are not doing as well as, say, a predominantly white community? Depends on what you're talking about. I mean, it's like, Prospect. Prospect, we have a lot of Africans, we have a lot of blacks, we have some Hispanics, Are and they, we have some whites. Okay. Um, and street, the key, the, street, the key word like there is that. predominantly black or brown. Well, my answer would still be the same, is how can we lift them up economically as well as educationally? Right. Regardless, yeah, so but that's that, the question. That, would, but that cuts across racial lines. That means a poor white person could stand just as good of a chance as a poor black person mm -hmm. and we all lift each other up. But if you're going to sit there and ask me, am I going to give taxpayer money to just one segment? No, I think we need to lift up our low incomes all over the city. And there's a lot of neighborhoods that fall into that criteria. Not all of them are predominantly black. You're saying two minutes, but she keeps asking me questions. So that's what so that's Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for your answer. All right, Heather, um, what are your plans to encourage the development of a strong middle sector, particularly within the black and brown community? Well, we obviously need to first start with the youngest of our citizens, with our children. And, and I think to support their families, we need to be supporting childcare programs where they're getting um, that just from the start, that we're, pro we're providing those families with options that we can help to support so that they can take the jobs that they need because it does come full cycle. And also investing in our education system. Um, we've had some conversations about this a couple of days ago, just making sure that 
we are providing everyone with the best possible education. I think every three and four year old in, um, in our preschool system should have access to a free education, starting at, at those ages and then obviously working up through our public school system. I think looking at our, our minority communities, we need to make sure that we're supporting them with um, you know, mentoring that could happen throughout like the middle school years and into high school. What, what are the support systems that we're putting in place so that people aren't feeling on their own and depending on the support that they're getting at home or not. And so I feel that that continues through our public school system, but then we have to also look at not everybody is going to go to PVCC or to a four-year school. So how can we help support those young people in getting the opportunities that can help them to thrive and to reach their potential um, through different development programs? We have a lot that the city is currently doing and they've been successful and we certainly need to um, support that further, but I also see opportunities that people just think it can't just be about training, it has to be how do we support the individual? Because not everybody sees the future to be what other individuals see. We need to be able to open their eyes to what they can be. Um, and I think that just comes in so many different ways. It's not going to come just from a training program, but how do we help people to understand you can stretch yourself and this is the direction that you can take your life. And so, and then that comes full circle because as you start to raise families, you then want to make sure that those children have that support. And so um, I think it, is, it really is looking at also how our communities can kind of work together. And I think that um, I was just so inspired in some of the neighborhoods that I honestly hadn't quite spent a lot of time in that they really support each other in meaningful ways. And I, I, they knew when I was coming, like, oh, I heard that you were at my door yesterday because they support each other. And I think that that family unit, even though it's not necessarily always a traditional family unit, is so powerful. And whatever we can do as a city to support um, those communities to thriving, um, I certainly would get behind. So. So I think first we have to make sure that the individuals who are in the rooms who are responsible um, for helping to eliminate some of the major disparities that I talked about earlier are the right people at the table. Being at the, in those rooms and at the table and challenging um, a lot of the other people in the rooms and at the table. Um, the storyline usually goes, you're, you know, the people in the room are well-intentioned. That does not solve the issue. As a community, if we do not commit to that um, introspection, we are not going to be able to move forward. So we need diversity in leadership. Um, we need diversity within our school system. I mean, it's going to take such an individualized program to get um, individuals affected by generational poverty out of the pits of poverty. We need a citizen advisory um, Commission for the Police Department with enforcement powers. We need to make sure that our prosecutor office um, and our police department are not prosecuting um, charges that they don't have to in a way that they have been, that has been very um, ineffective and detrimental to the community. We need to stop fighting the 1980 war on drugs because we're still doing that in this community with J Task Force. We need to make sure that all the kids within the Charlottesville School Division have the ability to go wherever they choose to go, that they are prepared um, once they leave. We have to fix the affordable housing crisis, and that ranges from everything from making sure that there are places to live to making sure that families who are currently um, Native families who've had their homes for um, decades are informed about the value of their homes and that developers are not um, taking advantage of them and abusing them. There, there isn't a system in Charlottesville that, that, isn't, that isn't broken. Um, 
in terms of making sure that the needs of um, black families and now Hispanic families are suffering the same, you know, plight are met. And, and we have a lot of work to do to fix that. All right, Paul. I believe that we should have a, I'm a I turned 68 last month, and I'm old enough to remember Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty. And a lot of the issues that we're discussing now in terms of Charlottesville was addressed by President Johnson in 1964. I believe in programs that will uplift people who are in generational poverty to give them the skills and the tools that they can continue in school and upgrade themselves. And it's not just for the black community. The black community needs special attention because it's been systematically oppressed. But there are, you know, number-wise, I don't know in the city of Charlottesville, but nationwide, you know, numerically, you know, there's more poor white people than there are black people. You know, so I think the, the trying to uplift people out of poverty should be to uplift people, everybody that's in poverty, and giving them the skills they need to get out of poverty. I believe, I worked at the University of Virginia for 17 years, and it was good to me, the medical center, but I worked in a non-professional job. All I did was push patients around for the eight hours a day. There's a lot of, quote, unskilled jobs at the University of Pennsylvania. The, CNA, the CNAs, they are skilled but people that work in housekeeping and dietary, the transporters, the salaries that, that they're receiving is a disgrace, and the University of Virginia has the money to pay them better. You know, there's not, I believe that if you're having a job, even if it's a patient transporter or a housekeeper, housekeeper you should be proud of that job, and you should be paid a living wage. UVA and the businesses in Charlottesville don't do that. They should be made to do that. They should be forced to. And... I know that in the South, they don't believe in unions. I do. And, I, you know, and I'm hoping that people have enough gumption to start picking outside McDonald's and Hardee's and the fast food outfits that are just paying their people $7.25 an hour, and those people work hard for their paychecks. So I think there's a spectrum of uh, services some effective, some not. You know, certainly within the school, we've increased our preschool to 260 kids. Actually, two, um, it's probably a little, I think it's 245 this year. But that's a huge, we only had four-year-old programs before because that was all the state would provide us. But now we've used local taxpayer money to increase to a three-year-old classroom as well. And these have been, uh, this has been a very effective way of helping families to access great services. Um, we look at, there's organizations like Ready Kids. Uh, I was just talking with someone. I know I used to volunteer there. There are things happening that we should strengthen and um, put up, like City of Promise, which is cradle to college, that we have, um, you know, counselors that are working with families uh, from the zero to three, then helping them get into preschool, having their children ready to learn when they get to school, and helping them with after-school activities, and then um, also graduating and then applying to school, to uh, secondary school. You know, I'm really interested in our GO initiative program, which is a partnership with PVCC and the city, where we offer uh, job training for all kinds of different things. We do, uh, this is how we get a lot of our bus drivers for the city schools, but we have Go Electrician, we have Go Secretary. These are really focused eight-week programs to help people access a real job at the end, and that's a great partnership, and I would actually like to increase that to 
adults with disabilities. There are so many programs that we could be implementing within our 10 square miles to help these people find real employment that's living wage. And if you look at uh, adults with disabilities, only 4% of them actually work outside of the home. And they have, they have skills. We can be helping them to find jobs. And then I would say Piedmont Promise. I keep talking about it. Let's support our high school graduates at a 2.5 or higher GPA, 60 at, and at or below the median income to get a, a diploma. Um, sorry, I know he's giving me this hand signal. Amy, all right. Paul, uh, John, I'm sorry. John? Job training is good no matter what the color of your skin. Employers need to be considered in the answer. Money from city council subsidies could help employers provide good jobs with a living wage. I favor a living wage to be paid to a worker of $12 per hour. This is a modest amount and will allow the employer to evaluate the employee and give the employee a raise if the work performed merits it. If President Trump delivers on income tax reform, business will have money to pay a living wage, no matter what the amount. Thank you. Okay. Just to add on to the question I just asked, do you all believe that all sectors within our community are thriving? No. Okay. Thank you. All right. Heather, third question. For downtown and midtown to thrive, there must be accessibility to workers and consumers alike. What is your plan to guarantee affordable access to all? I, I really believe we're really falling short in this area. Um, I think both our, our public transit system is falling short, um, both within the city and then obviously as we look at public transit as a region. Um, I feel like we don't have safe paths for people to take alternative forms of transportation, whether they want to walk or to bike. Um, and I feel like when I walked through these streets, I was astonished at how few sidewalks we have on our residential neighborhoods. And that is a problem for accessibility. We have a lot of our kids can't even get to their school bus stops um, or their schools without going along streets that don't have continuous sidewalks. I think the same is true as we invite people from around the community to want to come into our downtown area and, and our midtown area. Um, but I also feel like we have to create an environment that they want to be invited to. Um, I don't, I, I, we've discussed this before, there is, there is not diversity in, in our downtown area that we should be having that reflects the broader community. And we have to kind of unlock and understand why. What are the barriers, and some of it is transportation and, and through our transit system and, and walkability and bikeability, but it goes far beyond that. What are the other barriers preventing those individuals from, from reflecting the rest of our community in our downtown area. And I'm certainly committed to understanding, just to working with the community to get past that. We have opportunity to use our public spaces more effectively to encourage that diversity and through more cultural events. Um, we also need to understand what the barriers are for those who want to start a business and want to be in, in the business area that are coming from diverse populations. What, what is preventing that? Because there certainly is lacking in terms of both the ownership and, and those frequenting our, our center areas in terms of our urban environment. And so for me, it's, again, providing that accessibility physically, but also understanding emotionally what is preventing those, those center parts in the heart of our, our community from reflecting um, the diversity of the community. So I would say that our main issue is um, the lack of diversity. If you 
frequent that area, um, then you don't see a lot of diversity, even though there are some major, you know, I mean, neighborhoods that could bring the diversity there. You have like a community like Friendship Court, which is right downtown, right in walking distance, and you do not see um, representation of that community being that close to the downtown mall area. Um, so when I'm thinking, you know, thinking about the question sitting here, it's, you know, back to the community that we want to create, whether it's welcoming for everybody, whether everybody can thrive. And it's not just um, in enjoying the space. It's also, um, you know, who's working, you know, in the spaces, who's able to um, create employment options in, in the spaces. And we also have to think about, you know, Friendship Court, that current plan um, for that development would increase it, the current master plan, up to 600 units, which would be primarily uh, market rate apartments. Um, and that changes even the diversity right in the downtown neighborhood um, as it is now and will create more, um, you know, less accessibility <laughs> in terms of um, diversity. For, for the area. Thank you. I believe that if we have an extensive public transit system where the buses are running every 15 minutes, where we establish new routes to serve the entire city and the county and the surrounding counties, we can get a lot of people in the downtown area to shop or go to the movies or go to the Paramount Theater. There is a, the, the, the stores of the downtown area mall are boutique stores. And if you're making $200,000 a year, some of those stores may be of interest to you and you're economically viable to go there and, and shop. There needs to be a great diversity in the types of businesses down there. We need businesses owned by African Americans, but we also need a wide sector of businesses that appeal to a variety of people. And we don't see that in the downtown mall. I wasn't here prior to the mall being built, but I was told that there was a lot of businesses like Woolworths and Reeds and the downtown mall. We need those kind of stores in the downtown mall as well. And I'm opposed to the 600 market units uh, for, you know, being built in Friendship Court. I think all that space should be devoted to affordable housing for the people in the low economic uh, spectrum. I believe that every single piece of land that we have in Charlottesville should be devoted to affordable housing, and that doesn't mean units that are starting at 150 or $200,000 a year. We need apartments that are renting for $500 a month for people as well, so that the people who work at UVA or at McDonald's or parties will have, can afford to pay those kinds of rent. Say it again. I, I was, can you repeat the question? Yeah, sure. For downtown and midtown to thrive, there must be accessibility to workers and right. consumers alike. What is your plan to guarantee affordable access for all? Do you mean access in terms of parking or transportation or – I think there's multiple ways to think about this. You know, first of all, I really think the downtown mall – I mean, you go there, you see what's offered. Most of it is boutique. You know, I don't know. I'd hardly ever see anybody shopping there. You see the CVS is, you know, always crowded. And, you know, I thought a great addition was the Market Street Market because that actually had groceries, which is something people need. You know, um, a lot of what is offered is, you know, it's, it's geared for tourism. 
you know, honestly, it feels like. And, and there should be a wider variety of um, businesses. I remember the hardware store was like my favorite place to go. And then it became, uh, what is that now? The Urban Outfitters, right? Um, which I can't believe is still there. <laughs> but um, I think we need a better diversity of types of businesses that are really meeting the needs of the people that live there. Um, and I also think in terms of accessibility, you know, when we look at our parking situation, there's multiple uh, people, constituency that need parking there. We need employee parking, we need resident parking, and we need people that just want to come there and have lunch or whatever. So I think we need a very uh, diverse way of um, trying to get at the parking situation. Certainly employees, are, a lot of these people are driving in from Harrisonburg and et cetera. So we need, if we could have a remote lot where we actually have consistent transportation from there so that it's accessible, uh, I think we could alleviate some of our um, parking. But also if we had more affordable housing, we could actually have people living near where they're working. So um, this is, it's a very, it's a complex issue that has to be um, kind of brought to many different parts of how to fix it. So I would be interested in looking at all these things. Thank you. John? Concerning uh, Midtown and Downtown and have Midtown and Downtown to thrive, neighborhood sidewalks need repair. Overhead street lights need repair to keep people safe when they walk home at night from late night jobs. A change machine is needed in the downtown transit station for, to give low-income riders another quarter of change from the dollar they spend when they purchase a one-way fare of 75 cents. Thank you. Well, for me, first we have to go back to the city's master plan and relook at it because the city's master plan only has the boutiques and the little upscale shops where most of us don't even eat or shop at. Back in the 70s and stuff, before the downtown mall went in, that was our shopping area. We had Miller and Rhodes. We had Woolworths and Roses and all that. And everyone, didn't make a difference of what your color was, how poor you were, how rich you were, we came downtown. They got rid of all those shops. They want the little boutiques in there. And if you go down to the planning district and you look at the master plan for Midtown all the way through downtown, it does not include, it's not inclusive. It does not offer anything that people are actually going to go down there. One person said the Paramount. Paramount's expensive. I've been to a movie or anything in a while, but that's expensive. I mean, for me, that's like two days of groceries. So... How are you going to get people from Garrett Square or anywhere else to come down there when really we can't afford it? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing we need to look at. We've got this grand master plan, and some of my you know, fellow constituents up here, I'm wondering how much of them are going to follow through with the city's grand plan that's already in the works and stuff. But that's the first thing we need to look at is, you know, are we going to include everyone in this area, or are we just going to include the chosen few? So is there a perception that the city is catering more to the upper echelon of, the, of, of our community? Oh, definitely. 
Oh, definitely. They cater to it. It's like this parking thing they keep talking about. It's not about parking. For some reason, we want an NCAA championship here, and we want to build a convention center. We want to have all these parking lots and all that and parking garages, and this is just a fact. But the NCAA only comes through your town maybe once every 15 years. Then what do you do for those 15 years with the people who you have? Look at the hotels. That's all they're building. They either want you to be a maid or a cook. And I ain't knocking cooks because that made a very good living off it. But let's be real. You build for what you want your people to do. Okay. So we've answered the first three questions. And this last question is to give you all an opportunity to uh, answer those questions again if you feel you didn't answer them the best you could. Okay. So... Um, Kenneth, I want to challenge you a bit because you, you just responded that you feel city council caters more to the upper class. Most of that upper class is not black or brown. So let me take it back to that second question that says, what, what then are your plans to encourage the development of the strong middle sector, particularly within the black and brown community? If, if you just said they're catering to the upper echelon, are we are are is that is that community diverse that they're catering to? Well, that diversity I can't say because I don't know how many people are rich. It's like Oprah is a billionaire. She's probably can beat Donald Trump down with her money. So <laughs> I mean I'm not going tit for tat for that. Why am I not rich? I don't know. That's not what God had in the plan. But the upper echelon they cater to is the real estate developers and all this who actually throw money into their pockets when they're running and they're campaigning, who actually take them out to dinner and wine and dine them. Exactly what color. I don't think it makes a difference to them of what color it is. I just think it makes a difference of how much money and power. Okay. So is there, uh, of, the, of the, the three questions, did you want to answer anything differently or add on to what you answered to? I mean, how to get more blacks and browns? No, I mean, any of the other like questions, that. the populist agenda question or the downtown and midtown to thrive. Are you, are you comfortable with the answers you gave? I mean, I'm very comfortable. Good. Okay. Heather? Yeah, did you want to add, add anything, answer a question a little more that you feel could have done a little better on that, or maybe I had some more information to add. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I really challenge myself to, I think we really need to under, explore and work together to understand how can we support those communities that aren't thriving, because I do believe there are communities in our city that are not thriving, and understanding what barriers are preventing that is something that um, I feel like I, I've started to kind of un, uncover as I've, I've, I've talked to those communities, but I feel like we just need to be more collaborative and, as, and, and be there for each other and support each other and understanding what are the barriers preventing one, one group of one part of this community from engaging with another because I've just been so inspired by the process of getting to know people throughout this community in such a meaningful way that I want to encourage others to take that step. And I think that we do have some structural and systemic issues that are preventing those groups from thriving. And I think that our government needs to own some of that, but we each as individuals also need to own that and how we look at each other and understanding the point of view of someone who is, who is facing structural racism. Um, and so for me, it's just, that's, that's one piece of it. And then I would just say regarding the accessibility, I, I do feel like 
structurally as a city, we are not allowing for people to be able to come into our urban space without putting up a lot of barriers because of just the congestion that we have, as well as the limitations that we have in our, our parking, and it doesn't seem to be solving itself. And so it, we really certainly need to be investing in, and I'll echo what Mr. Long speaks to in terms of our regional transit authority, how can we have this system of transportation be working better for our region so that it's not impacting our downtown and our midtown areas in such an impactful way? And also how can we make more efficient that accessibility if it's through the satellite opportunities um, with, with parking? Because I, I do agree that it's preventing and it's gonna, it's gonna hurt our, our city economy. There's a lot of businesses right now that they're, through the assessments that we're throwing at them are, the, are, are hardly being able to continue to, to thrive. And if we aren't providing accessibility for those people to either work or to frequent them, we're going to lose those businesses to the county or even beyond. And I, as much as people, we have to recognize that without businesses in our community, we don't have a community. We need to kind of work symbiotically. We have to support those families and we need to support our businesses and they have to work together for our community to really thrive. Okay. Nakaya, the last word. Are you anything to add? I think the accessibility question, um, I'm interested in learning as much information as I can about um, the, the projects that have been going up and continue to go up, like West Main Street, the building there, um, to see if there's any way to, you know, what's the answer to halt some of that um, progress that's not benefiting, you know, the building that's not benefiting the community well. I remember um, Hoosier saying, you know, years ago that a lot of these plans have been, um, you know, on the books for decades before we start seeing them, you know, go up. So I'm interested in, you know, having more time to invest in learning that, um, that level of information to say, hey, where can we change the direction that we're going? Because it seems like that most of the time that's not part of the conversation. Yes, we had planned to do this, but we can stop. Also, the um, parking garage dispute this year, and um, I wouldn't have supported that. I think it was a much better um, you know, way for cities to spend taxpayers' money and that the lawsuit should have been able to, you know, be prevented. So I'm interested in, you know, working um, on that and the parking pallet program in terms when you already have an accessibility issue, um, implementing um, a pallet that promotes, um, you know, tourist activity and prevents individual who lives in the community and they're already maybe struggling, um, adding that extra, you know, with the parking fees. I wouldn't have um, supported that and I um, hopefully once the six month pallet, because um, I see a lot of vacant spaces, you know, in the downtown area that um, will decide not to con continue that. Okay. Paul, did you have anything to add to your answers? I wanted to address the uh, disruptions of the city council meeting that some people are, you know, are offended by it. Is this to question one? Uh, is there is a, a I, I want to know if you have anything to add to the questions, the three questions. Oh, okay. All right. What? So the, the question about the populist agenda, that's what you're, you're adding yes. to. Okay. Thank you. All right. Go. I've been to city council meetings years before Mayor Signer took over as mayor. And there was a lot of dissension. The mayors, it was Dave Norris, even Mr. Uja, Mayor Brown, were courteous and respectful to the public, even when they were being criticized. They only had one police officer, Harvey, who was there to maintain order. Michael Signer is rude, he's arrogant, 
he had a lot of people like Miss Mary Carey and people who were old and disabled, walking on crutches, physically thrown out of the city hall because they exceeded the, the, the three-minute time limit. I've made a comment that he was anal retentive. So what if somebody goes over the three-minute limit by 20 seconds? You know, now he has a fixation on authority. They finally stripped him of his authority. They should have never have given that, him that authority to begin with. And when you suppress people, when you disrespect people, people get angry over it. And I'm going to give a quote. Thomas Jeff, this, this isn't repeated a whole lot in political science courses or in public discussion. Thomas Jefferson made the statement, we need to have a revolution every 20 years in the United States. And I think sometimes when power is abused and, and, and people are disrespected, you need people to be loud. You know, I come from Philadelphia where we have a little bit more, you know, we, we tolerate people being festy and disrespectful. If the city council wants respect and deference, they need to give it to the, to the public that's attending the meetings. Thank you, Paul. Hey, can I mention one more thing? In terms of a populist agenda, and I mentioned that this current city council is in the control of business, I don't know why they went around and gave John Dewberry a million-dollar tax break for that landmark hotel. And since that was enacted six or seven months ago, I haven't seen anything happen at that hotel. That's a million dollars that could be spent building a permanent shelter for people that are sleeping on park benches. You know, the Possum does a great work in the cold months. We should have a facility where we can take people sleeping okay. on the street year-round. All right. Thank you, Paul. Amy? I want to go back to the Piedmont promise, sorry, but I just think education is so critical in, um, you know, changing your life's directory and talking about the um, Adults with Disabilities programs. I've done a lot of research on this, and the Adults with Disabilities, we have two employers actually locally, Centera Health and Marriott, and they both have discrete programs for these individuals that we could be tapping into with goodwill and our GO initiative program, which I have spoken with all of these parties to hopefully coordinate that we could employ adults with disabilities in a job that is actually living wage, um, which I think would be very exciting for all of us. And then in terms of the Piedmont Promise, I'm going to call out uh, James Bryant back there. Uh, he is part of my task force. He is a retired counselor from uh, CHS and is now working at PVCC to help our uh, children to uh, graduate from PVCC. So, uh, you know, we know that it's not just a barrier of money, okay? We also know that it could be academic support. It could also be just you don't feel like you belong there. And I know I felt that same way in college. It took me six years to graduate. I almost dropped out. I didn't have any money. I didn't feel like I belonged there. So it was really... An, I made some really good connections with my professors, and that's what kept me there. And I know that is part of the answer. And right now, we have about 70 students that enroll at PVCC. And we could make that 100 kids with the supports I'm talking and paying for it for between five and $800,000. This is a program that could grow our middle class. It can grow our own workforce for the jobs that are coming here. We have a lot of startups with UVA. This is the kind of training that they need. You know, this is a technical kind of training that they can go right into a job that could offer them thirty to $40,000 a year, even more, and then continuing that education with UVA and PVCC. And I really would love to pursue these um, 
Thank you. Okay. John, final word. People need to approach City Council for three minutes well prepared. I encourage reaching out to City Council members. Paul Long wants five to seven minutes, but I believe that three is sufficient so long as you can work with the city councilors ahead of time. You know, contact them, reach out to them. That's what I would do. Thank you. Paul, did you want to respond? I respectfully disagree with John. Three minutes a lot of times is not enough. You know, and I, I see no reason why we can't give people five to seven minutes. If, you're elect, if I'm elected to city council, I'm quite willing and I don't think that we should restrict it to 15 people. If I've got to stay there at 2 o'clock in the morning to listen to 50 or 60 people speak for five minutes, I'm willing to do that. That's part of being a city council person. And I, even at these forums, now, Andre, here you've been giving us a little bit more time, but when I go to these other forums and they give you one minute and two minutes, that's insulting the voting public's intelligence because when you're, you're discussing great issues, you need more than two minutes to articulate viable solutions. And I have a resentment with some of these forums where, and I told Ms. Walker this, it helps you develop a skill of responding to in sound bites, mm -hmm. but that's not furthering the dialogue on various issues that the city's facing. Okay. All right. Now we're going to, uh, Amy, I'm going to start with you uh, to give your closing statement. Two minutes, please. Thank well, you. Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody for coming out. This is a really great crowd. You guys are all civically engaged. And I want to say thank you to all the candidates. You know, this is really not easy. Um, and I know, um, you know it's really hard. And actually, it really it makes you introspective in ways that you had no idea. You know, I campaigned six or seven years ago now, I guess, for the school board, and the city really has changed a lot. I knocked on a lot of the same doors, and it's a lot different. And uh, I think we need to be aware of that, and we need to be coming up with policies and budgetary decisions that can help our community as it is changing uh, to be the best it can be and that everybody can succeed. Um, and... I hope that I can earn your vote on November 7th. I'm a serious person. I'm not a big ruhaha, but I will sit down and do the work. And that's what I've done on school board, and I would love to have that opportunity on city council. Thank you. I want to thank the sponsors for having this event tonight. I want to thank everybody for attending. And I believe that the five other candidates that are running are all very decent people including Ms. Lawford and Ms. Hilda, the Democratic candidates, and when I criticize the Democratic Party, you know. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, I'm not going to ask people to vote for me. I'm going to ask people to vote your conscience. I've been in this community long enough, and you, don't, you just don't hear from me uh, when election comes around. I'm out there protesting and having demonstrations year-round. People know me. They either like me and agree with me or they don't. I, but I want to see... Uh, Every single city council election in the 20 years that I've been here, only 25% of the people vote. I would like to see 80, 90, and 100% of the registered voters turn out to vote, you know, for this, because this election is just as important as the presidential elections. I want to be seeing in this election what happened in 2008 when I had to stand in line for two hours to vote for President Obama because of the response of people coming out to vote. So you come on out and vote, vote your conscience, and if you do that, and if 80, 90, 100 percent of the people turn out, 
we're going to have some good candidates get elected to city council. Um, thanks for um, hosting the event, um, Andrea, Jeff, and Eddie, and moderating, and thank you all for being here tonight. I hope that on um, November 7th that um, you show up and show out. I posted on Facebook the other day, let's have a rebellion at the polls. Um, and no matter who you vote for, make sure that you're voting for the future that where everyone can thrive in Charlottesville. I know for me, I've done this work, um, I sat here contemplating whether to pull a letter out my bag, and I've carried this letter most of, you know, the campaign, and it's a letter dated December 2015, and it was to Judge Moore, who's one of the circuit court judges, and it was talking to him about a case that I was working um, with a lawyer on and helping a young black male from the community who I felt was being railroaded, um, and the prosecutor office receiving several different um, typed responses from um, the J task force officers and informing both his family and myself that they would do something different if they got another letter from the officers that um, was different than the first letter that they received and they didn't. Um, I have tons of emails. I have been doing this work for so long behind the scenes, questioning, challenging, and no matter who you elect, because I'm going to continue to do the type of work um, that I do, I hope we become a community that questions and challenges. And I, I can't sleep at night when I know that there are people out there suffering and being railroaded. I could sit in my house and pretend that what's going on in the outside world don't exist, but I'm just not set up that way. So I hope that we as a community become those people who can't sleep at night, even if your family is doing well, until all of us are doing well. Thank you. Thank you all for having us. and. Really, thank you guys for allocating your time. I think we're all ready to be kind of through this part of the process. I think for Amy and I, it's our 13th forum over the course of the primary. And for me, transparency and accountability from day one when I launched this campaign was a top priority and could not be more important now as we look at our local government and our national government. And more than ever, we need strong leaders who are committed to taking responsibility and seeking the answers that all of us are desperately seeking. Um, and working with our community to solve its complex issues. And as I mentioned, I, I went around our community and, and asked what people's priorities were. And overall, like the, the things that I heard, number one overall in the city is creating more affordable housing. And you've heard folks talk about that tonight. But because we, we want to be able to enable those people to stay in the communities that they call home. We want to develop and grow our city in a way that addresses our community's needs and not the needs of individuals. Um, and has a long-term vision. We want to continue to focus on our schools through progressive education, investing in facilities, and taking a comprehensive approach that supports the success of all of our students. The youth of this community are our community's future. We need to invest in infrastructure and our transportation systems, which are deteriorating and we've all discussed are under-deliberating. And we need to really take a critical look at how we are allocating our city's limited resources. These are the dollars that you are paying for 
for those of us who, you know, hopefully you know, for our city council to allocate, we need to understand that we're not wasting it on studies that don't get us anywhere or initiatives that result in no action. So often we see things that go only so far and then no action's ever taken. To address that, I think it's going to require leadership that has empathy and will listen to all voices. It's going to take partnerships among citizens and community leaders, and it's going to take an action-oriented problem-solving approach. And I feel like I have those skills and I want to be that leader. But when this is all over, no matter how it turns out, I'm really encouraged to want to work with everyone up here on this stage to make our community better in whatever capacity each of us is in. Thank you. Well, as everyone else is saying, thank you for having us. I appreciate all of you coming out. Really, I do, because you could have done something else or been somewhere else. I am who I am. I don't claim to know everything. I don't claim to be perfect. And maybe that's one of the differences. I'm people just like you. I don't hold my color up because I know my color does not define me. It is who I am inside. It's the education I get. And that's the way I was brought up. That's the way I was schooled and taught, not just by white teachers, but by black teachers as well. I am proud of who I am. And I want everyone in Charlottesville to be proud of who they are. We are all role models, each and every one of us. So when you think about your children and the children out there, we are role models to those children. And as city leaders and city governing leaders, we are responsible and we answer to all of you. Whether we disagree with you or not, whether we all agree or all on the same page, we work together to make this city better and to make this city what it was and what it can be. We was always a collective city. I mean, growing up, I saw from Asians to blacks to Hispanics to everyone else. Maybe other people didn't see it. and Maybe you were blind because that's the way Charlottesville was. Our school system was huge back in the 80s. But we all got along, and even from the rich to the poor. I never was disrespected, and I never was looked down on. And if you had told me that a little poor black guy from Brown Street, not Star Hill, because it wasn't Star Hill. It's never been Star Hill until the brewery popped up in the late 80s. Brown Street, the old city jail, we used to throw pears to the inmates off the pear tree. But this is the kind of city that raised me and built me, and it built a lot of other generations. So on November 7th, I ask you to vote for me. I am John Hall. If elected to city council on November 7th, I will help fellow councilors as a freshman team player. Because of the events stemming from the plan to remove the Lee and Jackson statues, the good work of the city council has been delayed by public demonstrations. But there is now cause for some celebration with regard to public housing and homelessness. In today's paper, Impact, the Interfaith Movement, promoting action by congregations together, have decided to focus on affordable housing and homelessness. Members say that Charlottesville and Albemarle County budgeted $75,000 to help cover the center's operational costs. 
their leaders say that Albemarle County is helping to develop 200 new affordable rental units in the 5th Street and Old Lynchburg Road area. Much work remains to be done. It has been an exciting time for me to participate in these forums. I will always remember them and my fellow candidates. Thank you. Okay. John, Kenneth, Heather, Nakaya, Paul, Amy, thank you all for uh, coming tonight. I know you're tired. I know you're tired. You just have a, have a little ways to go, but thank you for... Um, for all you, you're doing for our community and what you intend to do, those who, who will get on city council, and we know that those who don't continue will continue to be civically engaged. So thank you for your service to our community. Community, we thank you. Let your voice be heard. November 7th, the polls open, 6 a.m., I believe. Yeah, 6 a.m. Know where you vote. Have all the information you need at the time you're supposed to go vote. On your way out, you, there's information on the back table, uh, back there where Jeff is standing. And speaking of Jeff and Eddie Harris, where are you, Eddie? And Dr. Douglas, thank you so much. You all have a good evening.